Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. Thank you very much, John, and welcome to Good News. I am Deacon Al of the Peoria Diocese of the Catholic Church and welcoming you to our program We air every Saturday and Sunday here on Catholic Spirit Radio, and it's a pleasure to talk to you about good news, about the gospel, about how the Word of God uh, interacts and intersects with our own life. We're into uh, ordinary time now, fourth week of ordinary time, about a month from Christmas uh, in the past, and working our way towards Lent. We're in a time of growth. That's why we wear green in the church during ordinary time, because it represents the growth we're going through and in the last few weeks, we've been hearing from a lot of from Isaiah in the Old Testament, from Paul in our second reading, and from Luke in our gospel. And all of these have been talking about uh, understanding how Christ grows within us, how we grow together, how Christ feeds us and the love of God feeds us and how we, what we do with that in return. And the response to God's message is love. How we love God and how we love others is our response to the message that that Christ brought and taught on on earth and continues to teach uh, through the scriptures. We're going to skip past the first reading today and answer a question instead, and then we're going to go to our second reading from Paul, which is one that I get to recite many, many times because it's probably one of the most popular readings uh, that are requested by couples Uh, in their marriage ceremonies. So this is one that will be familiar to many of you. Uh, But I think it's it's one of those readings like, oh, things, when when you say the the, uh, Pledge of Allegiance over and over and over and over again throughout your life, it begins to lose its meaning uh, because you're just doing the words by rote. A lot of like uh, last week we talked about my my lack of uh, being able to learn foreign languages, but my ability to remember the first unit because they drilled it into our heads through headphones day in and day out that I remember the words, but they don't have much meaning to me. Well, Scripture has a tendency to do that. There are some Scriptures that you hear so often that you hear the words, but you 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 set the meaning aside. We have a tendency to make God small. When we hear about it too much, we, we, we tend to minimize the impact. And so this next reading has tremendous information in it, but we hear it so often, we tend to minimize its meaning. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, but I do want to answer a question uh, that I get asked uh, quite often, and that's about the, uh, the difference between the Masses, the Latin Mass and the, the Nouveau Ordo, the, the New Order Mass, uh, that's the most common right now uh, compared to the, uh, the Trinitine. So we switched to the, the current Mass, the, the, the Mass that's done in the vernacular, in the common language of, of the congregation. When I was about 10, 11 years old, it was right after the end of Vatican II, and we, we went to this new Mass. We retained the older Mass, the Trinitine, the, Trinitine the, the Latin Mass. We retained that. It just wasn't used as frequently as it came into the... the uh, the new mass. And a lot of people, there's been a lot of news about this because our, our, our Pope, Pope Francis has put some restrictions on the use of the Latin mass, which hasn't pleased everyone. 
And someone's saying, well, is there something wrong with the Latin Mass? No. Is there something wrong with the uh, New Mass? No. The problem is, is how, how they've been used by people. It's, it's almost been, the Latin Mass, sadly, has almost been weaponized. So why did we go to this new Mass? Why did we go to the, the Common Language Mass? Those of you who are my age, mid-60s, will remember as children going to Mass when it was still the Latin Mass. We had books. We had our own missalettes, a children's missalette, that had color pictures of the Mass in it that we could see the the posture of the priest. And we would match the picture. We would match the posture of the priest to a picture. And then under the picture, there was the English translation of what was being said. And on the other page facing it would be the Latin. We didn't speak Latin. They stopped teaching Latin when I was in, in our public schools when I was about nine. So, uh, and that was only at the high school level. They didn't even teach it at grade school. So I'd never learned Latin. So I'm sitting at a mass watching the mass, not really participating in it. I'm watching it. And I'm looking at my book and I'm looking up at the priest, looking around. I'm 11. So I'm looking around the adults in front of me who are blocking my view, trying to catch a sight of the priest so I could see his posture, so I could find the posture in my missile, so I could read in English what he was saying and what some people were responding. But mostly what was going on at the Mass, people were holding their rosaries, looking down at their rosaries, saying their rosary. Now, the, the parish that, was, that I uh, went to as a child was predominantly um, an Italian neighborhood. A little bit of Irish, a little bit of Polish, but predominantly Italian. And uh, a culture very embedded in the rosary. And so as I looked around the church, everyone had their rosary beads out. And while the priest is offering the mass, everyone else is looking down, doing their rosary. Now, being Italian descendants, a lot of them understood some of the Latin because it's very close, but it's not perfect. But they weren't really participating in the mass. They're saying the rosary up until the time of consecration. And how did you know as a, as a young kid where you couldn't see the priest, how did you know it was con- time for consecration? The bells would ring. And when the bells rang, everybody put their rosary away and they paid attention to the consecration. And then they went up for communion and then we sang the recessional song and then we left. So for the most part of the mass was really just us in attendance saying our personal rosaries getting communion, and leaving. And as I talked to other people my age, that was pretty common. That was, that was pretty common for the Mass. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it was 100%, but you imagine that we're a world, worldwide religion. A lot of countries didn't teach Latin in the schools at all. So to people in these other countries, these Latin Masses, Again, you went to Mass. You really didn't participate in Mass because you didn't understand what was being said. So at Vatican II, they said that Mass shouldn't just be something we attend. It should be something that we participate in. And they realized that one, one, of, the, one of the roadblocks to that participation was the, the use of the Latin language, as beautiful as it is. 
it was also a roadblock to a lot of people participating in the Mass. The Church really couldn't control how much Latin was taught out in public, but they could control how the Mass was, was celebrated. And so they created this optional way of doing the Mass, this way of doing it in, in the common language of the people. And so that became a, uh, adopted through most, through most of the countries, through the Catholic Church in most countries. And it was very readily adopted here in the U.S. Now, I will say it was adopted <laughs> badly. The, the first translations, uh, English translations, were done so hurriedly that there were some really awful translations of the Latin into English, which was corrected just a few years ago in, in the, the most current version of the Missal. They fixed a lot of those translation errors. But it was done badly, and that created, uh, for a lot of folks, those who spoke Latin, uh, my mother being one of them, who to this day, uh, she's in her 90s, she can still speak and read fluent Latin, but she took Latin in grade school and in high school and in college. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that she can do that, but that's a very small percentage of our population. I mean, she's in her 90s, and she probably has people in, in her peer group who, like her, can still do that, but a lot of us can't. So anyway, um, they've, create, they've corrected some of those translation errors, which is great, most of them have been corrected. But now we had two masses out there. We had the Latin mass and we had the, the Nouveau Ordo, Ordo, the New Order mass. And one of the reasons it's come up lately is because of these restrictions that the Vatican has placed on the use of the Latin mass. At f there was a, a, a period of time where the Latin mass was really discouraged, really discouraged by the Vatican and by many of the bishops. And then there was sort of a reversal on that under Benedict, who opened up the opportunity to once again do the Latin Mass as, as the popular Mass. But then there became this them and us, this push and pull with, within the community of the church. Uh, some people said, well, this is a better Mass, or this is, this is the better Mass, and we're better— we're better Catholics because we celebrate it this way uh, rather than you guys who celebrate it that way. And that was wrong to do. That was wrong on both sides to do. Both masses, both masses are valid celebrations of the Eucharist. And both should be viewed as valid celebrations. But there was so much had, be, had become of placing one over the other in that, that it created this this unnecessary, unnecessary rivalry. You know, one of the things they, they, they stressed on us in formation for the diaconate is to be a tool of unity rather than uh, to um, a, a tool of separation, right? So we're to seek to keep the church whole and together and functioning. And the current Pope and as well as uh, the magisterium saw how this dichotomy within the church, these two different masses, were being used from a, more of a political stance than a sacramental stance. So they've put some controls on the Latin mass saying, you know what, we're not going to do it as often. You're going to need a special reason for doing it. You're going to need special permission for doing it. And we're going to restrict how often it can happen. I love the Latin mass. I love going to a Latin mass. It's beautiful. The Romance language I love listening to a Mass in French. I love listening to a Mass in Spanish. 
I, I recently went to an all Spanish mass. It was gorgeous. And I could follow most of it because it's not that different than the English. I knew again from the uh, from the cadence of what was being said and from the the posture of the priest, I knew what was being said. So I could respond, uh, I could participate and respond, but in English. And there were a handful of us who did that. But it was still a beautiful Mass, and it wasn't any less of a Mass because I couldn't translate all the words, but I knew some of them. But when that's used as to say, we're better than you, we're better Christians than you, we're better Catholics than you, we're doing it right, you're doing it wrong— uh, something had to be done to stop that from growing. And so that's what they've done. But know that that both masses are valid. Both, both masses are beautiful. You are not wrong for going to one mass rather than another. You're not really wrong for preferring one over the other. But you have to be careful about human ego. You know, we're, we're broken people and we make mistakes. And one of the mistakes that, that people have made have been using using a sacrament as a, a tool to bludgeon people with, and that had to, that had to be put to an end. And I I think personally, given time to heal, you will see these restrictions will be lessened, if not by this pope, by another pope. Um, I I think that'll be you know pendulums tend to swing way to one side and way to the other. But every time it swings, it gets closer and closer to center. And I think this is one of those cases where the the pendulum swung way to one side and then it swung way to the other. And now this swing is will be coming, every time it swings, it comes closer and closer to resting its center. So don't let this be, no matter which mass you prefer, don't let these new restrictions... Uh, be something that uh, pull you away from your faith. Don't let them discourage you about the uh, authority or decisions of the Pope and the magisterium. They're given this authority by God for a reason, and they have every right to exercise it. Be patient, uh, be prayerful, and uh, persevere. And all things happen uh, for in, in God's own time, uh, for the good of all. So hang in there, hang in there, and uh, enjoy both Masses, whichever, whichever one you're at. Let that be a wonderful Mass for you. We're going to come back and uh, and talk about the reading from Paul, a letter to the Corinthians that I think you'll love. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. Good news will be right back on Catholic Spirit Radio. Then there's a prayer that comes from fear. A lot of people are converted with this kind of prayer. They you know the old saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. Well, I hope that's true. It's amazing that sometimes the greatest conversions happen when somebody is so afraid, they suddenly reach out to God. Maybe their whole life they never reached out to God, and suddenly they cry, Lord, help me. Okay, conversion. And welcome back to Good News. I'm Deacon Al. We're here with you on Catholic Spirit Radio, which I want to do a quick plug for Catholic Spirit Radio. What a wonderful, wonderful resource this has been to our community, starting uh, in central Illinois, in Bloomington, uh, normal Illinois, but since been stretching out further and further and further from there. 
And now we're we're almost into Chicago. I mean, we're we're right up there on the on the stepping stones to Cook County. Um, who knows? Yeah, we're knocking at the door. So uh, who knows how many people uh, will be able to benefit from the good news uh, in in the year in the years to come. We are we are just so pleased with the way that uh, this station has been growing, and we welcome all our new communities uh, to uh, to listen to our programs. Uh, not just on our weekends, but all through the weekday, 24-7. We have tremendous Catholic program going on uh, every day of the week, 24 hours a day. Uh, So I invite you to not only listen to us here on the radio, but also join us on our website. We have podcasts from all sorts of uh, sources, from uh, EWTN and other Catholic sources, as well as the programs that we produce here locally on Catholic Spirit Radio. And if... uh, if the good Lord should move you to uh, sending a check to us to help keep us on the air, that is uh, always a blessing for you and for us. And you can look at our website to uh, to see how to donate. It's just a click of a button. Uh, my family uh, supports Catholic Spirit Radio every month, and I would ask you to, uh, to do the same. And I think you will find uh, many, many blessings in the programming uh, that we have here. I love the apologetics programs that are on uh, in, in the afternoons. Uh, on a on a daily basis, I, I get so much great information out of there, and I kind of I test myself. I listen to the question and then I answer, and then wait for the answer from from our wonderful apologetics to see how close I came. And I'm pretty pleased so far. There's there's always a few times where I go, oh, that's that's a good question. I came up with the other day, and I thought, oh, that's a good question, and I didn't know the answer to. So I used my resources and I asked a priest, a very a very learned, knowledgeable long-term priest who said, oh, that's a good question. I'll have to look that up. So if anybody knows why my David picked up five stones and not four stones or six stones or one stone when he came up against Goliath, Scripture is very specific that he picked up five. And normally in Scripture, if it gives you a number, it gives you that number for a reason, uh, like 40 or 12 or seven, all have specific meanings. Five, it turns out, is one of the most commonly used numbers in Scripture. I didn't know that. It appears more times in Scripture than any other number, and I don't know why. So I'm. if you don't, send me an email, goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org. Uh, I'm always looking to learn more, but I've been scouring my books and my internet uh, resources, and I have not found out what's so special about the number five when it comes to David selecting his stones to go up against Goliath with. So... Um, where was that leading me to? I have no idea other than uh, great information on Catholic Spirit Radio, lots of fun to listen to, and I hope you'll listen, and I hope you'll find it in your heart to help uh, support us financially. Okay, um, our second reading this Sunday is a beautiful reading from Paul to the Corinthians, one that you've all heard in whole or in part. It's used quite commonly at weddings, and I think so often we listen to it, but we don't actually hear what it's telling us. So this is uh, Paul, First uh, Corinthians, uh, chap- uh, book thirteen. I'm sorry, chapter thirteen, uh, verses four through thirteen. Brothers and sisters, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts, but I shall show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love. I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, 
If I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there are prophecies that will be brought to nothing, if tongues they will cease, if knowledge it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially, and we, prof- and we prophesy partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see distinctly as in a mirror. I'm sorry, indistinctly as in a mirror. But then face to face, at present, I know partially. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. So faith, hope, love remain. But of these three, the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. So we, we read this. If you've been to a wedding, I'm sure you've heard this reading. Um, it's it's on, the, on the top list. I've, I've done a number of, of marriages now, and I can only think of one that didn't use this reading. He used a similar reading, but not this one. And it's pretty obvious because marriage should be based on love. But what does that mean when we say base it on love? And for a lot of people, it's she makes me feel so good. She has such, she's so beautiful. She has such beautiful hair. He makes me feel so good. He's so gorgeous looking. Yeah, I love his smile. I love his eyes. That's not love. All those things are nice, but they're not love. Paul's giving us a a real good checklist of what it means to love. Love isn't short-tempered. He he talks about as a child, he thought as a child. Think about as a child, uh, you didn't get your way, so you threw a temper tantrum. Well, it's pretty normal. That's pretty natural for a child because you don't have any other tools. You don't know any better. And you don't understand what love is. Love to a six-year-old and love to a 30-year-old shouldn't be the same thing. It should mean something completely different. It should bring about totally different uh, thoughts, totally different behaviors. Look deeper. So love, love doesn't Put yourself, your love for someone doesn't put yourself above them. It doesn't make you more powerful than them. Uh, when, we, when we exercise our anger, we're saying, you should listen to me. You should do things my way. You should do things that please me. And Paul says, that's not what love is. Love is sacrificial. Love is, is putting the other person's wants and desires and needs before your own. 
Love is patient. It takes patience to put other people before yourself. It takes a lot of patience sometimes. But there's a a, a woman that, that should be known to, to many people named Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day is uh, slowly, her name is slowly working its way towards becoming a saint. I don't think it's been, I don't think she's been canonized yet. Uh, last time I looked, she was uh, ranked as a servant of God. Last time I looked, she was ranked as as servant of God. But Dorothy said something that I that I think ties into this reading so so well. I only really love God as much as the person I love the least. Now think about that. I only really love God as much as of the as the person I love the least. This person may be in our own home. He or she may have recently colored on our walls with permanent markers or spilled wine on our best furniture, misplaced the keys to the car, or uh, maybe they're uh, they're that in-law that constantly makes backhanded comments about your furnishings or your cooking or your housekeeping. The person who ticks you off the most, uh, the person on the street outside the church who's uh, asking for money, the... uh, Oh, it could be anything. But the person who upsets you the most, the bully at school, the teacher who just seems to have it out for you, uh, the boyfriend who just broke up with you, the person you love the least is the amount of love you have for God. So Paul's saying that love is sacrificial. Love puts all the anger aside. It puts all the disdain aside. It puts aside all conflict and says, I love you so much that I want to put you before myself. So that's that takes a lot. That takes a lot of forgiving. And if you think about Jesus's message in, all, in almost all of Jesus's um, stories that he tells, the whole message is love and forgiveness. They go hand in hand. You can't forgive without loving someone. You can't love someone if you're not willing to forgive them. My wife forgives me a lot, a lot. My wife loves me a lot, and I love her, but man, she has to forgive a lot. It's it's not easy spending a lifetime with me. Uh, we just figured out the other day we've known each other for over 50 years of our life, and we still like each other. Now, I can't tell you that we like each other every minute of every day. There's always some kind of a conflict that arises momentarily. And then we both, I think we both drawn back to this beautiful message from Paul. And we remember that uh, we love this person so much that we're willing to put faults aside. And most of the faults are, are my own. I know when I'm angry, when the few times I get angry in my marriage is because not something my wife did but something I did that my wife picked up on. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you notice my mistakes? <laughs> um, so I, I just take these words of Paul to heart. Uh, they're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and they're worth reading over and over again. And, and here's a great lesson. Uh, replace the word love with your own name. How close to this picture that Paul paints do you come? I am not jealous. I am not pompous. I am not inflated. I am not rude. I do not seek my own interests. I'm not quick-tempered. 
I don't brood over injury. I don't rejoice over wrongdoing. Is that true? Can you read those things and say, yeah, that's me? If you can't, then God's calling to you through Paul's writing that it's it's time to make a change in your life. If If you are about to get engaged, if you're thinking about getting engaged or accepting an engagement proposal, put the other person's name in these lines, see if it's true. If it's not, wouldn't be in a hurry to get engaged. It wouldn't be in a hurry to get married. If you can't say, for instance, uh, Paul is is not rude. Paul doesn't seek his own interests. Paul's not quick-tempered. Paul doesn't brood over injury. If these aren't true about the person you're looking to marry, don't get married. He's not ready. You're not ready. She's not ready. So this is a great way to kind of measure love in your life by putting your name or by putting the other's name into these phrases. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 13, really a a marvelous tool to use in our life, uh, no matter what our age. Well, another another 30 minutes has flown by. It's been wonderful uh, visiting with you again. I hope you'll come back. Good news is here on Catholic Spirit Radio every Saturday and Sunday evening, and we hope you will come back again. In the meantime, may Almighty God bless you, protect you from all evil, and bring you to everlasting life. Have a good week. You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon Al at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.